Well, hey, good morning, Stone Creek. Welcome to uh, part 611 of this series that we've been in called Equip. That was a joke, you should laugh. Um, I'm pumped to be able to dive into this with you guys today. We are really slowing it down and trying to take our time in this series to help equip you and develop you to be the kind of disciple that makes disciples, for you to be the kind of follower of Jesus that helps others follow Jesus. And um, we want to give you, equip you, enable you with all the tools that you need to be able to do the work that God wants to do in you and through you, for you to step into the purpose of pursuing people. And um, our heart is for this mission to multiply. We wanna see God take this mission to the ends of the earth of what he's doing right here. And we think that that happens when everyday people get equipped with the things that they needed to be able to be disciples and make disciples. So this time together, man, it's about us developing and growing and becoming equipped with what we need to do that. Let me get my cards out on the table early with you this morning. My goal for today is for you to leave hungry. My goal for today is for you to leave hungry. And so I'm gonna be preaching until about 4 p.m. And I'm gonna leave out this picture of bacon, okay? I'm gonna leave out this picture of bacon. And tacos, because it's Cinco de Mayo. Bacon and tacos, because it's actually bacon tacos, because it's Cinco de Mayo. If that doesn't make you hungry, you're a communist, okay? Like that is... Holy sweet Jesus, that is manna from above, right? So I'm just gonna leave that up there. No, I'm kidding, I'm kidding, it's a joke. I want today for um, you to have this kind of spiritual hunger that grows in you that makes your soul growl. I want for you to leave salivating over the scriptures. I want for you to have this hunger for the word of God that like can't be contained. Like literally my goal for today is that like by the end of the sermon, everybody in here looks like one of those dogs in the Sarah McLaughlin commercial in that is never eaten. That's my goal right there, right? That's how we're gonna close the service. We're just gonna all be hungry and sad and just wanting to eat because I, what's, that, that analogy was way over the top. Can we all agree? The music was way too much. Okay. I want you to leave today with this hunger for the word of God that, that can't be contained. I want for you to leave today salivating over the scriptures. I want for you to have this love for God's word, passion for God's word, commitment for God's word, intoxication with God's word that controls you, where you love it and live by it and see the lenses of life through it, where you can't get enough of it, where you're like excited to get into it, where you hunger for the word of God. Because if we're being honest, that's not the way that most of us look at it, right? Most of us look at reading the Bible, look at the word of God, like it's a chore. We look at it as something that is like irrelevant, that is, um, that is boring and dull and just a chore. You know, that's the reason why the average American, I don't know if you know this or not, but statistically speaking, the average American owns three Bibles, but very few of us have any idea what they say, right? We don't read them. And, and you know, you own three Bibles. Think about your three Bibles. You know, you own three of them. You got three of them at your house. You've got the one Bible that your grandma gave you when you got baptized with the naked baby angel on it. Most likely King James Version. You never read that one. And then you've got like the Bible that you got when you were gonna get serious about your faith. You got that big old study Bible, gold pages that look like heaven on it. You have no idea where that one is for sure. And then you've got the Bible that you stole from us, right? So 
the average American has three Bibles, but very few of us have any idea what they say. Actually, in 2019, the truth is that you can download an app on your phone and take every version of the Bible with you wherever you go. And yet, very few of us know what they say or actually spend any time reading them. And actually, the, the most common word that we use to refer to talking about reading the Bible is what? Discipline. Discipline, right, man? It's just, it's a spiritual discipline. I gotta be more disciplined to read God's word. And it absolutely is a discipline, but what if it could become a delight? What if reading God's word could become this desire, this thing that you were hungry and thirsty for, this thing that you wanted more of and couldn't get enough of? What if you left today hungry for the word of God? My goal is for you to leave today hungry. in Psalm 119, it's the longest chapter in the Psalms. It's actually the longest chapter in the Bible and it's run by King David. And coincidentally enough, the longest chapter in the Bible is all about King David's love for the Bible. It's got 174 verses. And so instead of reading all 174 verses, you're welcome. Um, I did consider it. I've pulled out some of the verses in this Psalm that I think are paint the best picture of the way that King David sees the scriptures different than us. This dude hungers for the word of God, thirsts for the word of God, loves the word of God. And he's just seeing it through a different set of lenses. And so I've pulled out some of my favorites to just put before us what it could be to hopefully frame up for us how we could see this thing differently. Now, before we jump in, quick discipleship moment. Um, as you read the Bible, one of the things that is important for you to know is that the Bible uses a lot of different words to talk about the Bible. And so, especially in the Old Testament, as you read through it, you're gonna see the Bible called the Bible, the word or the law, pre precepts, testimonies, commands, but all of those words are talking about the word, the Bible, okay? Um, And so as we journey through this Psalm today, it's gonna be important for you to know that, that there's different words, but they're all talking about the word, the Bible. Now, King David, as he jumps into this, paints this picture for us of how he sees Psalms, um, of how he sees the word of God. And I just want y'all to know, y'all ain't ready for it. Here we go, Psalm 119, verse 14. This is how David sees, this is why he hungers for the word of God. In the way of your testimonies, I delight as much as in all riches. Um, So David goes, I'm as pumped about reading the Bible as I am about getting a raise. Can we just all agree? We can pack up shop, go home and agree we see it different. Like when's the last time you were as pumped about reading the Bible as you were getting a bonus? Like what if this mattered to us more than money? What if we're like reading it and like, you know, you get a bonus, you text your wife instantly, baby, you'll never believe I'm so excited I got this bonus. Like, what if like you're like, you know, in, you know, Ecclesiastes and you're like, dude, Ecclesiastes chapter three, you gotta know about a soul God. It matters to him more than money. And guys, it's just where we're starting. So can we just agree? He sees it different. He sees it different and he hungers for it. It keeps on going. Verse 20, it says, my soul is consumed with longing for your rules at all times. When's the last time you thought to yourself, God, I just wish you would give me some more rules to live by. How many of you by show of hands are rule followers? By show of hands, where are my rule followers? Okay, great, you guys are dismissed. I am not a rule follower, right? Furthest thing from the truth. My wife, she is a rule follower, so I've learned to accept you and invite you into my tribe, okay? But my wife tells me that she follows the rules, not because she loves rules, but because she hates getting in trouble, okay? And so nobody really likes rules. We just hate trouble. And so um, I I don't think many of us are just sitting around just going, God, you know what would make this game of life a lot more fun? If there were some more rules, You know, like when's the last time you just thought, you know, I, I would love to just drive on the road and just have more traffic laws, more rules, 
You, you know where I really wish there were more rules in doing my taxes. That would just be awesome if there were more rules about how to do my taxes, make life so much better. No, this isn't what we think. And yet David is longing, thirsting, hungering for the rules. You know, it's crazy. Like when we think about the rules, like most of us couldn't even name the 10 commandments. Anybody, can you do them? Can you do them? Go to a Baptist church. Can you do them? Okay. Um, most of us probably couldn't even quote the greatest commandment. And yet David lived by 613 Jewish commandments, knew all of them and wanted more of them. And he wanted them at all times. It's not like he wanted to take a vacation from the rules, just you know, have a Saturday, a treat day and quit the rules. No, he wanted all the rules at all times. Can we agree he sees it different? But it keeps going. Verse 23, he says, even though princes sit plotting against me, your servant will meditate on your statues. This is insane. Historically speaking, when David's writing Psalm 119, he's at, attack, he's, um, at war with a foreign army and they're strategizing, they're developing the military plan to straight go Game of Thrones on David, okay? And while that's happening, David isn't strategizing. He's meditating on his statutes. So I want for you to think about like, you know, in the most intense moment of your life, people are caving in around you. They're getting ready to attack you. And you're like, you know what? Just to kind of just calm my nerves, I'm just gonna pleasure read through Leviticus. That's David. Like he's getting ready to go to war and he's like, you know what? I'm just gonna go to the beach and just like catch up on my like pleasure reading of Exodus. Like that's insane. He's just... He, I'm gonna think about your word because your word is gonna bring me security for my soul in the midst of a great army forming against me. Can we just agree that he sees it different? That in difficulty, he goes to the word and acts as if it is his defense, but it keeps on going. Verse 72, he says, the law of your mouth is better to me than thousands of gold and silver pieces. This, this for me, like I would rather have this than thousand pieces of gold and silver pieces is what David says. We would rather eat Reese's pieces than read the Bible. It keeps going. Verse 92, if your law had not been my delight, I would have perished in my affliction. This is where it gets intense. If um, the theologians, when they look at this text, many of them believe that this is written right after David has an adulterous affair with this woman named Bathsheba. If you don't know the story, let me catch you up. King David is on his roof. He looks out and he sees this girl named Bathsheba. He calls her Bathsheba because she be taking a bath, okay? And so, <laughs> so she's on the rooftop taking a bath. Oh, that's funny. <laughs> So she's taking a bath and he calls for her. And so she comes into his quarters and he has an adulterous affair with her. She gets pregnant and um, it's not his wife. And so God punishes David for his sin. And so when the baby is born, the baby immediately gets sick and God tells David the baby's gonna die. And so what David does in his affliction, in his desperation, locks himself in his king's quarters. He closes all of the doors, doesn't speak to anyone except to get news about his child, does not eat or bathe for weeks. For weeks, what he does is he fasts and he prays and he feasts on the word of God. He feasts on it. It fills him up. It satisfies his soul. And when news comes that his baby dies, David takes a shower, he eats a meal, he stands to his feet and he moves forward. A lot of theologians say that when David says, I would have perished in my affliction, what he's trying to communicate to our English ears is that if it wasn't for the scriptures, I would have committed suicide. 
the pain, the unimaginable pain of losing my child would have probably driven me to take my own life. But, if, but because I have your word and because it's so good and because it fills me up and satisfies all the places of my soul, I'm good. I can delight in it when, when otherwise I would just be depressed and defeated and destroyed. Can we just agree he's seeing it different? looking at it different, views it different, has a different set of lenses to see this thing through, but he keeps on going. Verse 97, oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. My show of hands, how many of you have ever binged out on Netflix? My show of hands, how many of you? All right, the rest of you are liars, okay? So we've all done it before, right? We've all wasted a Saturday just binge watching Netflix. How many of you are fans of The Office? Any Office fans? Love it. Friends? Anybody loves Friends? My wife just watches Friends for white noise. Like she's not even watching it. It's just in the background of her life. Clearly some of y'all do that too. Um, uh, Grey's Anatomy, don't judge me. All right. So we've all done it. We've all binge watched Netflix, Stranger Things, love it. Like uh, we've been there. And when we binge watch a TV show, we generally get to the end of the day and we go, man, I'm a bum. <laughs> I really need to get my life together. Like cleaning crumbs off of ourselves. That's way too real for too many of you. <laughs> David binges on the Bible. Like David straight binges on the Bible. He's like, man, I'm just gonna read this thing forward and backward. Like I got a Saturday. I'm just gonna read this thing through and through. I'm gonna read chapter one and chapter two. I'm gonna, I'm gonna watch season one and season two and just hope for a season three. That's really funny, guys. Old Testament season one, New Testament season two. Come on, come on. He's just left on a cliffhanger. He's binging on the Bible. Takes the whole day. He just can't get enough for it. Hungers for it. Desires it. Wants more of it. Can we just agree? He's seeing it different, looking at it different, perceives it different, but he keeps on going. Verse 103, how sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. He, he thinks about it as food. The Bible actually refers to itself as food. It calls itself water and bread, milk, honey, wine, solid food. It's this thing that we eat and it's this thing that's tasty, that's desirable. It's, it's, it's something that you would actually like have a craving for. Like anybody have cravings? You ever have a craving? Okay. My wife had the weirdest cravings when she was pregnant. She wanted like pickles and ice cream at the same time. It's just weird. I had, I've got cravings all the time. Like I crave hot sauce. Like it's crazy. I just want like to sweat when I eat food and be in pain. Okay. I don't know why, I just want it in my body. I crave salt, I love salt, okay? Most of the food in my life is just a vehicle for salt, popcorn, salt, chips, salt, fries, salt, 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 right? Like I love salt, I crave it, I long for it. And David's going the same way that you would maybe long for honey on your mouth. I long to just eat it. It's so sweet. It's so good. When I get it in my mouth, I just can't get enough and I just want more. What if you saw it like that? Can we just agree? He's seeing it different, eating from it different. He's hungering for it in a way that we don't, but it keeps on going. Verse 111, your testimonies are my heritage. I love this one, forever, for they are the joy of my heart. Now the Hebrew here is a little strange. It doesn't land well on English ears. And so when you see heritage, I want for you to think family. Say heritage. Some of us were confused. Okay, so heritage and then family. Heritage, family. 
Okay, so it's the same way. So he's saying your testimonies are, your word is my family forever, for they are the joy of my heart. So the picture that he's trying to paint here is that what is the joy of most of our hearts? Our family, right? Like your family is the thing that brings you the most joy in your heart. You don't believe me, let me prove it to you. I'll show you a picture of my family. Look at this, joy in your heart. Joy in your heart, right? Like, oh my gosh, guys, I made that. And every time I see it, there's just joy in my heart. David's saying the same emotion that just happened in this room when you saw that picture is what happens in his heart when he opens God's word. Could you imagine feeling the same joy that your family gives you when you open up God's word? Doesn't that feel like illogical? Doesn't that feel ridiculous? Doesn't that feel impossible? Doesn't that feel far-fetched for God's word to be the joy of your heart the way that that little girl is the joy of mine? What if God's word could be the joy of your heart the way that that little girl's the joy of your heart? This is the way that David sees it. He's seeing it different and he keeps on going. Verse 114, you are my hiding place and my shield. I hope in your word. Where do you go to hide? Can you just think for a second about all the things that we do to hide, all the places that we run to hide? We hide behind our job and our accolades, our degrees and our profession, our next account and our next sale. We hide behind our fancy houses and nice cars and cool clothes. We go to all these places to hide. Maybe we hide behind food, comfort food. Maybe we hide behind another glass of wine. Where do you go to hide when you're afraid and the world's caving in and you just need somebody to be your shield, something to be your shield? Where do you go to hide? David's going, I go to hide in your word. When I'm in a room and I'm anxious and I'm insecure, I use this as my shield. This is where I hide. This is my safe place. This is my fallout shelter. When everything's crashing down, I hide here. Find defense here, safety here, security here. Where do you go to hide? What if you, what if you saw this as a place that was safe to hide in? A place that protected you from all of the voices and all of the lives and all the presuppositions, presuppositions and perceptions that people have about you. What if in those moments of extreme anxiety when you're in a room, look right at me. When you're so concerned about how people are thinking about you and what people are gonna say about you and whether or not you're saying the right thing and holding your arm the right way or eating too much. or Like what if in those moments, God's word could just well up in your soul and you can go, I'm not what they think that I am. I am who you say that I am. Your word is the truest thing about me and it silences all the voices and you can hide there in a crowded room when you're afraid and feel all alone. You can just hide in the word of God. This is the way that he's seeing it, but he keeps on going. Verse 131, he says, I open my mouth and pant because I long for your commandments. I pant. When's the last time you panted? I know ain't none of y'all running with this pollen outside. Okay, calm down. I open my mouth and pant because I long for your commandments. He's got this like hunger, thirst, craving, eagerness, like I gotta get on panting. Um, I love the way that another Psalm talks about this um, where David says, it's one that you're all gonna know, as the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul longs for you. Anybody ever heard that verse? We love to make it cute and throw it on a coffee cup. You got a big old buck with antlers standing there, right? As the deer pants for streams of water. We, we love to make it cute. I'm on prednisone, y'all. That's why I'm like this this morning, just so you know. We love to make it cute. We love to make it cute, but this isn't cute. This is desperate. This is a deer who is, 
who's so thirsty that he's gonna die and he's running around looking for water, aggressively looking for water, getting ready to get hit by your truck looking for water because he's panting, he's thirsty. This is the way that David is looking at the word of God. I can't get enough, I gotta get in here and read more. I'm so thirsty, I'm so hungry. I'm gonna gorge myself on this thing. I'm gonna eat a double portion, ah. He's panting for the word of God, hungry for the word of God, starving for the word of God. And there's even more. Verse 136, my eyes shed streams of tears because people do not keep your law. When's the last time that you wept over the word of God? Like when's the last time that you opened this thing up and you just started to read through it and like you're looking at Genesis and you're looking that this world was created to be a place called shalom of wholeness and peace and togetherness that is supposed to be paradise where we dwell perfectly with our creator and there was no pain or suffering or locks on doors. Like when's the last time that you looked and you, and you just started to think about the world that God created with his words was supposed to be a world where little girls were born with terminal illnesses. Where divorce didn't happen and murder didn't happen and sickness and disease didn't happen. Where bankruptcy didn't happen and tragedy didn't occur. When's the last time you looked and you just wept because you go, God, this isn't the world that you wanted. When's the last time that you just thought about the billions of people around the world in India and in Indonesia living in Muslim communities who don't know his word and you wept, you were broken because you know that they don't know what we know. They don't have the life that is found in his word. When's the last time you're just looking at this and you're looking at the pain and the suffering and the injustice in the world and you're just weeping, tears on the pages, ugly crying over the word of God. I cry when I watch an episode of American Idol. When's the last time you wept over the word of God? David's weeping over this thing because people aren't keeping his law and he keeps on going. He says, I rejoice at your word like one who finds great spoil. David says, the way that I look at what I have found in this book is as if I've walked up on this harvest that I did not plant. Like I just happened to stumble on this treasure and it was mine. I walked up in this banquet table was set of a great spoil and it was just mine and I didn't do it. I just found it. Like there's so much in here, he says. It's like more than enough. It gives me my fill. It's a great spoil. So big that I started inviting people in to see it and eat from it because I can't even eat all of it because that's how much it is. And it's, it's such a great spoil that I rejoice. Like when's the last time that in the word of God, like you read and you're like, this is so good that I need to rejoice. I just need a party. I just need to shut the thing down and dance a little bit, right? Just the word is so good that David rejoices over it because he knows what he's found. That was a bad dance move earlier. Yeah, can we disagree? <laughs> Can we just agree that we're, we're not seeing this thing the same way that David does? But I wonder that if we did, if we would hunger for it the way that he did. Why? Why does he think about the Bible like this? Why does he talk about the Bible like this? Why does he hunger for the Bible like this? Why is David's perception of the scriptures so different from ours? Well, I think the reason that David's got this thirst, this desperation, this obsession with the word of God is because what David ultimately knows is that when he sits down to feast on the word of God, that he's sitting down at a table with King Jesus. 
I think that what David realizes is that this meal that has been placed before each and every one of us is the meal that we sit at where we get connected to the creator of all that is. That when we open the Bible, that we get to actually begin this dialogue, this conversation, sit at this meal with Jesus, that the Bible is the place that we know him and fall in love with him. That as we read this thing, we begin to understand what he's like and who he is and what he's been up to and what he's not like and what he says about us and what he cares about and how involved he wants to be. That it's actually at the table of God's word that we get to know Jesus that it's here and this is the reason that he loves it so much because he understands that Jesus is the word made flesh and the Bible is the word made ink. That in Jesus, we've got the living word, but in the Bible, we've got the written word, the place where we're able to know him, know who he is and know what he's like. When we read the Bible, we get to know Jesus. Never forget this, never forget this. This book right here, this book is not about you. This book is about Jesus. This book is for you, but it's not about you. It's about Jesus in the way that he came for you, loves you, bled for you, died for you, and wants to be in relationship with you. Have you ever been reading the Bible? Let me ask you this. You ever been reading the Bible and been confused by parts of it? If your hand isn't up, you've never read the Bible. Because I'm reading the Bible still and I'm confused by parts. I'm like, man, I don't get this. I can't put the, man, this just doesn't make sense. Help me understand. This is one of the reasons I get so frustrated when people are like, I don't need to go to church. I can read the Bible for myself, okay? So my assumption then is that you know it way better than I do and you need to be on the stage because I still need to go to church. I still need to submit under teaching and have people explain things to me that I don't get. Now, now the majority of it, let me set the record straight. You can read and understand yourself. God's given you the capacity and the ability. You don't need a priest or a prophet. Like the Holy Spirit living in you can help you understand the word just like he helps me understand the word. The majority of it, most of it, we can do that with. But, but oftentimes there are gonna be pieces of this puzzle that we just can't put together. You ever experienced that? Like, ah, gosh, I just, I'm trying to put the pieces of this puzzle together and they're just not fitting of how the Bible works. I don't understand why this is there or why it says that or what to do with this. Well, you know, the thing about a puzzle is it's way easier when you see the cover of the puzzle box. When you see the cover of the puzzle box and you know what you're trying to get to in the end, it's gonna be much easier for those pieces of the puzzle to come together. And what Jesus has communicated to us is that he is the point of the Bible, that he's on the puzzle box, that ultimately what the Bible is about, what this book is about from beginning to end, Genesis, Revelation, the maps, all of it, okay, is about him. It's showing you what he's like. It's showing you his redemption, his reconciliation, and the fact that he wants to be in a relationship with you. That's the, that's the box. You know, in um, the greatest Bible study um, in the history of the world that ever happened, it was a couple of weeks ago, I was leading it. Just kidding. It was in Luke 24, okay, Luke 24. Um, verse 27, um, this is right after Jesus raises from the dead. He's on the road to Emmaus with a couple of disciples. And this is what Jesus does. Um, Jesus, beginning with Moses, Moses wrote the first five books of the Bible. They're called the Pentateuch um, and all the prophets. That's pretty much the rest of the Old Testament. He interpreted them in all the scriptures, that's all the Bible, the things concerning himself. Wouldn't you have loved to be at that Bible study? as Jesus opened up this book and started with the very beginning and went page by page, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, story by story, and pointed out the way that all of scripture is about him. 
Could you imagine as the pieces of that puzzle started to come together in the disciples' mind, all the things that they'd been confused about and wondered about, like, why is that in there? And what does that mean? And what was that about? And why did you make us do that weird law just started to come together? Like as, they, as he said, hey, Cain and Abel, you're confused about that, right? That whole Cain and Abel story, like, why is that even in there? He goes, because I'm innocent Abel, Jesus says. I'm innocent Abel. I am the brother who was innocently slain by the guilty brother. You remember the cross that happened just like three days ago? Hello, where you killed me? Should have been you up there, but it was me. I'm innocent Abel. And then he would have gone to Abraham. And you, you remember Abraham, that guy who had to leave his good father to go to a land full of sin to establish a new people? Well, I'm, I'm Abraham. I left my father in heaven, came to a land full of sin to create a new people. Like, are you confused about like, man, why is there so much blood everywhere? Like I'm reading through Leviticus and it's like the silence of the lambs prequel. What's going on here? So all these lambs are getting slaughtered, blood everywhere. He goes, because I'm the lamb. I am the lamb that is slain for the forgiveness of sins. My blood is now washed over your life, making right all that's gone wrong. I'm the lamb. He, he would have been like, okay, so you're confused about the priest. I'm the high priest. Why so many kings? Because I'm the king of kings. What about the prophet? Because I am the word of God. From beginning to end, he would have showed them the way that all of this is about him. And so when we sit down at the table to eat from the word of God, to feast on the word of God, to drink from the word of God, to just get every last drop out, what we're getting to know is the creator and the king of the universe and the reason that this is so important is because if we don't allow the Bible to be the thing that informs for us how we think about Jesus, it's just gonna be our imagination. And the most dangerous Jesus is the one we invent in our own minds. The most dangerous Jesus is the one that we invent in our own minds, the one that we dream up in our own souls, the one that we just kind of take the parts of Jesus that we've heard about from other people and just kind of form this Jesus for ourselves because we've got this propensity, this tendency to turn Jesus and reinvent him into a more convenient Lord. Somebody who's really convenient for us. That's our natural inclination to turn Jesus into somebody who's comfy and who kind of approves of the things that we like. And so very naturally what starts to happen is this drift occurs where we have this Jesus who reflects our own behavior, who just looks like us, thinks like us, talks like us, acts like, acts like us, tells us it's okay to live the way that we live. Like when's the last time you, 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 you're the Jesus that you were singing is a Jesus that saw life much differently than you? Most of us don't naturally drift towards that. Without the word of God, what happens is we, we, we're never introduced to who Jesus really is. We begin to shape for ourselves a Jesus who's maybe very permissive, who just says, hey, it's okay, you do what you want. Like sin's not really a thing. What's right is determined in your heart. I'm all about love, right? Or without the word, we, we shape for ourselves this Jesus who's very legalistic and abrasive and domineering and who just is lording over us all of the time. But when we feast on this word, when we read the Bible forward and backward, we realize that Jesus won't fit into our personalized philosophical boxes. When we sit down at this table, we realize that you really can't just get to know him in one conversation, that it takes way more than that. He's way more complex than that. He can't be commandeered and tricked into fitting into the way that we want him to work. He, he can't even really be very easily categorized. Like the more that I read the word, the more I wrestle 
with who Jesus really is. Because the more that I read the word, I, like I see him over here doing one thing that makes me think about him one way. And then he just does a pivot on me and he's over here and he's acting a completely different way. And I'm like, geez, I thought I had you pegged, but now I don't know what box to put you in. I don't know how to make sense of you. Like one second you're over here and you're like telling us, you're saying go and sin no more. And then the next you're like in with hookers. Like, what do I do with that? Like one moment you're like, you're at your rich friends, your wealthy friend's house and you're spending the night. The next you're like, hey, go sell all you have and give it to the poor. What am I supposed to do with that, Jesus? No, one moment it's like, you know, you're, you're fasting for 40 days. And then the next you take this little boy's lunchable and feed 5,000 people. What am I supposed to do? Like, I can't categorize him because you can't categorize or get to know someone in one conversation. Could you imagine how crazy that would have been to do with your spouse when you got married? Sit down, one meal, and think, got you pegged. You did the Enneagram, so we're good. That would have been ridiculous and ludicrous. Like, I've eaten a million meals with my wife, and I still don't know her, Okay. And the same is true with Jesus, that it's gonna take this consistent sitting down at the table of his word and eating from it to really get to know who he is and see him in all of his fullness and all of his beauty to see the whole Jesus in a way that it can't be captured in an instant or at one meal. And most of us are just eating one meal if we're honest, yeah? Most of us, it happens generally like Sunday at 11 o'clock or if we're feeling really holy, 9.30. Like that's the only time that we're sitting down to eat from the word of God. It's the only place that we're getting filled up and then we're wondering why we're still starving and don't know him. It doesn't work like that. Um, I think one of the important things to see is that, um, that the word of God, like it's the place that gives us life. What David understood is that the word of God, the same way that food is the, like you can't eat, like if you don't eat, you're not gonna live, right? And if you don't have the word of God, you're not gonna have life. This is talked about in um, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. This is like the token Bible verse in the Bible. Um, all scripture is breathed out by God. I wanna camp out there for just a second. Um, so uh, all scripture is breathed out by God. It's from his breath. His breath is it's from him. So I wanna I want ask you like, so if, um, if someone passes out, they kind of go unconscious, if they flatline, what does like a medical person do? What do they come do? A doctor, that's the word for that. What does a doctor come and do. I went to public school. Don't worry about it. A doctor. What do they come and do? CPR, right? They, they resuscitate a mouth to mouth resuscitation or however it works. I don't know which one comes first, compressions or the mouth, but they're going to breathe life into those lungs. Biblically speaking, you and I have flatlined. We're unconscious. We don't have breath. We're dead in our sin. And what God's word does is it allows his breath when we read this word, eat this word, drink this word, it's his breath coming back in our lungs, causing us to come to life. The dead things in you come to life when God's word gets inside. And it says that it's profitable or gives us gain in teaching. This life teaches us how to live. The things that we wouldn't otherwise know to, to do. The things that we would never know what to think about God, never know how to understand God without him teaching us. And, and as we know, as we learn, we're able to live. This is very much like the way that parents have to teach their kids to live. That this would be a great understanding of this word here, that as parents have to teach their kids to not play in traffic and to not put their hands on hot stoves and to not eat their boogers, the Bible, it's gotta teach us how to live. 
For reproof, the idea there is like a surgeon who's got a scalpel, who's taking out the dead and deformed parts of us that shouldn't be there. The parts that are sinful and cancerous and are killing us. The Bible takes it out, cuts it out so we can live. For correction, so it doesn't just take the dead parts out. It also goes, hey, walk like this, act like this, talk like this. It, um, it shows us how to live. For training in righteousness, this would be very much like an Olympic athlete training for their sport, addressing the nuances of life, the little details of life, the things that your parents never told you or taught you, like taxes, right? That's what the Bible is going to do. It's gonna train you in righteousness so that a man of God may be complete, alive. Give me that word. Oh, light bulb goes off. This whole series that we're in about equip where we can't be equipped without the word of God. You're never gonna be able to be a disciple who makes disciples or live a life that shows the love of Jesus until we get equipped with the word of God. It's necessary for us to be able to do every good work that God has called us to do. It's the place that brings us life. You know that Jesus like loved the Bible. He loved the Bible because he knew the power and the life that was found in the Bible. I mean, right before he starts his ministry, he's in the desert and he's, um, he gets the wilderness. He gets tempted for 40 days. He's not eating. And uh, Satan comes to him and offers him everything that life could offer. You, have you been offered everything that life has to offer? You have to, because you live in the North Fulton bubble. It's all available to you, right? The Avalon, hello, heaven on earth. You've been offered, you know, just wealth and riches and success and family and pleasure and education and comfort. And those are all great things. But Jesus, he, he had the offer for all of that to rule, to have authority. He's hungry and he's offered food. And his response to Satan when he's tempted is man does not live on bread alone, but on the very words of God. He hungered for the word of God, was filled up on the word of God, and it caused him to not be seduced by the mirage of things that seem like they're gonna provide life, and it caused him to actually settle for what was going to bring life, and that's God's word. He says, man does not live on bread alone, but on the very word of God. And I want for you to know, if you don't know this, that like, like right now, if you don't have a hunger for the word of God, it's probably because you're being played. It's probably because there's a real enemy who exists and would love nothing more than to pull a veil over your eyes and, and make you believe that the Twinkies that you're eating are enough to fill you up. That those things that are really just gonna cause your heart to go into cardiac arrest are going to satisfy. That the places that you're going to feed your soul are going to satisfy. Like the social media accounts that you're drinking from are gonna be enough to fill you up. Satan would love to pull the veil over your eyes and just show you that just scrolling a little bit more. Yeah, that'll fill you up. That'll sustain you. That'll make you feel good. That'll make you not feel like you're hungover or in a coma, just a little more scrolling. Oh, what the enemy would love to do, would love to tell you, you know what you need? Just, just eat, drink a little bit more from Fox News. Just get it really good and burned into the bottom corner of your television. Just fill up on it, drink on it. You, 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 you need other people's perceptions. You need another podcast or another leadership book. You need another seminar, just drink from these things. That's what the enemy would love to do. He would love to play you and trick you in, 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 and cause you to believe that the places that you're eating are gonna satisfy. And Jesus is going, no, 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 no. Like the word of God, that's what's gonna be able to satisfy. That's what's going to sustain you. Jesus loved the Bible. He quoted it, he preached from it, he taught it, he fulfilled it, he had it memorized. I don't know if you know this or not, but the last thing that Jesus said before he's, he, he was crucified, Bible, he quoted scripture, he quoted the Psalms. He says, Father, into your hands, I commit my spirit. It's the last words out of his mouth. 
because he knows it's the thing that's gonna cause him to be raised back to life. The word of God, he loved it. He loved it and we should too. Are you tired of being hangry? Because I bet some of you just feel hangry in your soul and you can't quite figure it out. Like you, you, you've got all this stuff coming in your life, so many voices, so much noise, so much time is spent learning and growing and reading and getting more and watching TV and watching social media and we just can't understand why we wake up every day hangry and unfulfilled. Could it be? Because we're not feasting on the thing that our soul needs the most, which are the scriptures. Could it be because the place that could actually satisfy has just been neglected? I wanna close today by reading an invitation to the greatest meal that you could ever be invited to. It's in Isaiah chapter 55, Isaiah chapter 55. There's an invitation that goes out to each and every one of us today. Here's what it says. It says, come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And he who has no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourself in the richest of food. There is a table that has been set before each and every one of us where we can eat from the word of God and have our insecurities evaporate, have our longings satisfied, have our soul filled up and not be left with this constant gnawing for more, with this insatiable lust for the next thing, and the next promotion and the next job and the next trip and the next whatever, only to be left disappointed. You ever sat down at a meal, spent a ton of money, felt like you wasted it? That wasn't worth it. I'm telling you that if you will sit down at this table and you will make a commitment to consistently eat from this word, your soul will be filled. And here's what I know is that at first, you might have to develop a taste for it might have to be some, become something that's acquired and that you grow accustomed to. The same way that you had to acquire a taste for fine wine or bourbon. It didn't stop you there. Don't let it stop you with the Bible. You know, some of you, you're sitting next to spouses who you didn't love at first. You friend zoned them immediately. But over time, they beat you down. Over time, you got to know them and you fell in love. That same offer goes out to you with the word of God. If you'll commit to just sitting down at this table every single day and allowing it to fill you up, it's gonna satisfy your soul. It's gonna change your heart. Let's pray. Jesus, I love you. I pray that we would leave hungry today. I pray that we would leave desperate for your word like David. I pray that we'd be a people who build our lives on your word, who believe that it's true and has ultimate authority, that it is not something that we can choose to believe or not to believe, but something that we've got to believe if we want to have life. God, I want us to be Bible people. I want us to live like we're people of a book. I don't wanna be left to my own devices and own imagination. I wanna know you in your word and I wanna follow you with my life. Thank you so much for this time together. I just pray that 
that this would be more than inspiration, that it would move to application for each of us, that we would spend some time today, even if it's one chapter, even if it's one verse, God, that we would take the time that we have to just sit and to eat from your word. And ask it in your beautiful name and all God's people said, amen, amen.